Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up, people? You know that sound that is the Unfiltered Band, which means another episode of Unfiltered coming at you right here and now. It is episode number 19, entitled Life Pod. As always, you can get to me on life or sports or anything else at Casey Stern. Hit me up at the YouTube channel where it believes or get believe on Twitter because you got to believe. And we believe in the Unfiltered Band. Thank you very much. As we get started here uh, of an episode that I've, I've wanted to do since I got started with this podcast and I, I figured I'd use the break before things get crazy here, second half of the baseball season, as well as with all of our countdown to the deadline that's coming up here. And, you know, mostly what I'll do will be predominantly sports, even though I, I love doing pop culture interviews. I've done many of them over the years, did a lot of them over at Sirius XM when I was with MLB Network Radio. And I look forward to doing some of those here where we'll do some, you know, some music and, and television and, you know, talk to some of those folks in those walks of life as well. But I, I wanted to do this since day one because, uh, you know, I'm always kind of open about the fact that I, I really do believe in living unfiltered and trying to be that way. But, uh, you know, as with everything else in life, when we learn from other people, right, and I've learned, you got to practice what you preach. And I've wanted to do that. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do an episode like this and where I wanted to start was to kind of explain and talk about what it was like doing all of those years of a daily talk show and building a relationship. See, when I grew up on talk radio, and as a kid, I listened to WFAN in New York, and I grew up with Mike and the Mad Dog, and, and you know, all sorts of, you know, geez, Steve Summers at night. When you think about talk radio. Everybody's got their own opinion about <clears throat> what it is to them. But I, I want to tell you what it was to me and what I've always tried to do when I've been in that side of things over the years. Talk radio to me is a relationship. When you host a talk show for sports, you are giving people an out. You are giving people an escape. You're giving people something else to hold on to in their living room at night in their bedroom when they can't sleep and they're tossing and turning, in their car when they're driving and they're stuck in traffic or they're, you're trying not to think about you know their bad job or their bad relationship, you're giving them the escape. Whether they love or hate you or love or hate what you're saying, you're making them feel an emotion that's different from the emotions of their real life. And that to me is what talk radio always has been about for me as a kid. Geez, I used to call Steve Summers when I was like 14 years old under the covers late at night with, you know, the, the size phone that like Zach Morris used to use and Saved by the Bell, hoping that like my mother didn't hear and I would stay awake and I'd wait on hold and I'd wait for your chance. And then you would hear that, you know, which it's weird when you're on the other side and you're hosting a call in show for 13 years like I did. You never really I don't think I've thought about this in, in 25 years. That, that noise that you hear on the other end, or at least I did as a kid, which you know, like, oh, gosh, you're connected. Like, what the hell am I going to say now? And the whole time you're on hold, like, you're preparing. Like, once you get through, you know, the gatekeeper who's sitting there and, and you know, says, hey, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you want to talk about? And I was like, hi, I'm Casey from Massapequa. And, you know, like that kind of a thing, right? But I always wanted to, to build a relationship with listeners because I think it's it's the... The coolest part 
is that you you kind of you know the people you listen to for a long period of time because as sports shows go in and out you know it might be like one or two anecdotes in a day or coming out of a break or going into a break but there's always there's something that you hear or something that you learn about that personality or that person that's that's not related to sports right there's something that you hear or that you learn that's not related to that show about their own personal life and to use another stern in Howard, you know, you know, not everybody is that personal leaving open their life to, you know, let you know everything about them. But I've always believed in that. I've always believed in the ensemble cast idea of everybody who works on a show. And I've always believed that, like, you want people when they listen to feel comfortable to call in, but also to feel like when they're listening, th- there's there's a friend on the other line. Right. Like somebody that, you know. And one of the things in the conundrums that I came up with when I was thinking of of doing a podcast and one of the problems I've had with podcasts, to be honest, in terms of the difference between them and and whether it's terrestrial or satellite radio than doing, you know, a talk show was, you know, in not taking calls and not having a direct correspondence back and forth. How do you build a relationship? Yeah. How do I build a relationship with a podcast listener? It's something that I'm still learning and new at. I have podcasts that I listen to. I'm sure you guys have other ones that you like, right, that have been around far longer than the one you're listening to right now and Unfiltered, which is only, what, three months running. You know, for me, that's something I'm going to learn on the fly and something that I'm talking to other people who podcast and have done that for years because I feel like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who could answer any questions about what it's like to do a sports talk show and be successful because I've done that for over a decade. It's It's hard to step into a, a world that's that's so different and know exactly how to build that relationship. So one of the things that I wanted to do was have kind of like a life, I'm calling it the life pod, but, you know, kind of talk more about me, delve a little bit into, you know, kind of things that I feel and things that I like to kind of let the people who don't know me, who haven't been listening, because I'm sure, and God bless you, and I appreciate it, there are people who have listened to me over the last 20 years who are doing so, people who... Um, you know, know me from a sports standpoint already, but I, I'm I'm looking for the people who don't know me to get a chance to know me, and that'll happen little by little over time. In terms of you get an idea of, of you know, look, I'm a Met fan. If you didn't know, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but it, how do you kind of create that relationship where somebody feels so comfortable? And I think you know, too often in life, what we do is we we take without giving and we take without giving first and we ask for something we're not willing to give to someone else i want your trust but i don't trust you right um i want you to be generous but i'm not going to be generous i want you to be sincere but i'm not being sincere and that's to me too much in this world how we act i think a lot of us are that way and i don't want to be that way i don't want to ask you to you know, be unfiltered as a guest or be unfiltered and, and be a part of that world, that authentic life that I want to live, not knowing that I'm not going to be that way with you. So I wanted to get into you know, some life pod things, and you'll see where I'm going with this. And I hope, I hope, it, look, I hope it, it sparks some intrigue, a conversation. Get me at Casey Stern. You can direct message me. Uh, you know, people talk to me about all sorts of different things all the time. I, as I said, with the sticking to sports episode, I'm not just a sports guy. I'm a human, right? So I want people to, to treat me that way, and I'll treat you that way. But it also means we don't have to just talk about sports. 
You know, I want to give it to you real. I want to tell you that, like, when you think that a broadcaster hates your team, you're an idiot because they don't. You know, oh, well, the, you know, said broadcaster was, you know, like when your team's on like a national telecast, right, or a radio broadcast, and how many times do we hear people say, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy's shitting on me because he's rooting for the other team. You know, even if they are a broadcaster, let's say for, you know, 90% of the home and, and road games for the team you're playing, they're then probably, if they're a professional, overly compensating and actually making sure they're not being a homer for that team against you. Yet you're going to have people say, oh, well, you could tell that they're a fan of that team. You know, and like you, you hear these things about the same people all the time. You know, it's it's Joe Buck for years now. It was Joe Morgan before. It's whoever. It's Troy Aikman, whomever it might be. You know, it, it's all ridiculous. Nobody hates your team. I don't hate any teams. I've said it before. The only team I hate literally in my life are the New York Rangers. But I don't hate the people and I don't even hate the players. You know, I mean, Adam Graves isn't on the team anymore. Right. He's a nice guy, too. But I'm just saying it's like. Yeah, you hate. I hate Ranger fans, and I hate the Rangers growing up an Islander fan. But that hate is like it's a word you use in jest. It's not real. Some people take it to like this level where they get crazy and they think broadcasters give a shit, and we we really don't. Like, I'm sorry to bother you people and to tell you like real life, we really don't. Like, you have to take that when you're a broadcaster. You have to take that mask off. Of And you lose some of that. I've lost some of that. I've lost some of the, you think I'm irrational with the Mets? I've lost a lot of that. I'm, I'm way more rational now than I used to be in, in my you know 20 years or whatever covering the game. It's why I'm still more irrational probably with the Islanders because I don't cover them. As soon as you work in it, there's a professionalism that comes with it. So, you know, I just want to kind of, you know, go through and I, I wrote down some of the things I wanted to hit on, just some life things to, as we go along the way here on our podcast journey of, of, you know, me and you being a listener or a viewer, you know, there'll be more times that you get to know me about different things, but I wanted to bounce around and hit a few today. So the first are pet peeves and some of the things that drive me crazy. And I'm not going to talk about pineapple on pizza, although I just mentioned it for the, the buddy of mine who's now a friend on Twitter uh, because I, he's the guy I troll about pineapple on pizza. Manners. I've talked about this before. People have no manners in this world. This drives me absolutely bananas. You want to know something about me? Uh, and look, I am, please understand, I'm far from perfect. All right, nobody's perfect. I'm far from perfect. I've got plenty of flaws, some of which I'll discuss with you here. I've, I, and, and not ashamed of that, nor should anybody be, because we all have things that we're working on. If, if you're not striving to be better tomorrow than you were yesterday, that's a problem, and you should look in the mirror. The minute you accept being good, you're never going to be great. All right? So I've got plenty of flaws, but manners is not one of them. And people who have no manners drive me absolutely bananas. I've talked about it before with barefoot idiots on the plane. Like, I don't care if they sell the tuna sandwich in the airport. Are you seriously eating it and sitting in the middle seat and breathing on me? Like, what about the people who you hold the door for? I've talked about that, and they have no respect. As a parent, you learn different kinds of annoyances when it comes to manners. All right? I was at the pool the other day with my kids, and... There are at, at my building there, which is great. There are grills and people can barbecue. It's like three thirty in the afternoon now. Everything's about time and score. Where people have lost their sense, I think, in this world is tact. Nobody has any. I've talked about that before in the pod. And part of that is not understanding the time and score. Like there are certain things that you just don't do 
in certain places, right? Like you don't go skinny dipping in the pool at the party that your your in-laws are throwing. You're not going to sit there and get drunk at Passover dinner, like you know, or Easter dinner. There's certain things that you just you, you probably not the right time, right? Not the right time. You, you don't want to like you know you know be proud of passing gas at the table the first time that you're on a date, right? Like there's certain things you just don't do, all right? Whereas, like, three years into your marriage, maybe, hey, honey, and maybe, like, that's how you roll, okay? That's your thing. <laughs> I've always joked, and I, I mean this sincerely, like, how do, how do you know what love is? Love is when you can be laying in bed with somebody and one of you farts, and you both laugh about it, and no one runs. That's, that's love. That's what, that's what you know. That's how you know you're in love. But... When you sit there and you talk about the lack of manners in this world, it is kind of crazy. So I'm sitting at the pool with the kids, and <laughs> these these three people, one of which was a lady who looked like she was in the middle of like a rave at like the Limelight, which I was at before it closed in Manhattan, if any of you know the reference, many years ago. Um and I've been to, and this is way long ago, raves in the city going back like 25 years ago. Um, when you're in the middle of like a pool at like a community pool at three in the afternoon on a weekday, you don't expect somebody to be like, you know, bopping around and looking like they're, you know, I mean, more than half in the can. That's okay. My kids aren't going to notice that or know what that is. It's just somebody dancing. No problem. But you're blasting music that has, like, you know, F this and, you know, WAP that and all this other kind of nonsense, right? And it's 3 in the afternoon, and my kids weren't the only kids in the pool. There were other kids in the pool. And I gave all the dirty looks you can give. My daughter, who is amazing, my daughter Haley came up to me and said, Daddy, there are curse words playing. And, you know, I got into that time period where I was like, am I going to go up to these people and say something? And I'll be honest, I didn't. Instead, I got the kids out of the pool. We were going to go anyway, probably in half an hour. But I got them out of the pool, and, and we went back inside to go shower and change because the day was almost over anyway. And luckily, we had been there for like two, three hours. But admittedly, I went through that process, and I'm curious, at me at Casey Stern, like, would you normally, would you go up to those people? I've, I am not shy, clearly. But I'm not one of those people who could do that. Like, I... I I don't know what it is, but something kept me from going up to those people and having that conversation of, hey, you know, could you could you have a little bit more sense? You know, there are kids in the area. And I think part of it, to be honest, it's twofold. One, I think one part of it is, you know, I, I wasn't really sure how to handle it in a nice way. And my kids are at least in, around. Right. Because. You know, what if they're jackasses about it and then you want to like seriously start dropping F-bombs and be like, what the F is wrong with you? And the other part is I felt like such an old fogey. I felt like the RA in a dorm complaining because I smelt pot. Like I, I didn't know necessarily what to do in that scenario. And again, at me at Casey Stern, I'm serious. I'm curious if people in those scenarios, but it's like when people are rude around your kids or don't have tact knowing children are around, it, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter to you or come across like your wavelength when you're not a parent and as soon as you become a parent you're like i mean you are literally like you know you're you're like the the i don't even know what the 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 people police and you're like that person who is like you know what the hell is wrong with you right 
The same way I feel, uh, speaking of which, and this drives me crazy, about the chimneys. And I say the chimneys because it may be trees, it may be cabs, it may be bicycles, maybe even know where I'm going with this. But the idea that you can't get into your own bank account anymore without discussing what a chimney is. And one of the problems with me is that I have no patience. So, and being from New York is certainly a big part of that. So I'm curious if other people have this, but there are times where literally I'm glad that that nobody else is judging like some kind of a quiz, like an IQ or an SAT test where somebody is judging how smart I am because they would think that literally I'm dumb enough to not know what a bicycle looks like. Like I'm the asshole who doesn't know what a taxi is because I'm, I'm clicking like, you know, please take the three taxis. And then the worst is that you have to start all the way back to the beginning or even worse, if you click the thing too many times and then it tells you you've had too many attempts and now you can't get into your bank account, right? For usually it says like another few minutes and it doesn't tell you how much. And I don't know how much is in my account and I don't know what to do. Anybody else have this scenario? Or even worse, then it goes to fraud protection, which is like my favorite thing in the life pod things that just drive you crazy. Anytime I've ever had to buy furniture or anywhere, I've got Chase Bank. I don't know what banks you have, but they're fraud. Like, you want to be protected, so it's like, yes, thank you for caring and protecting me. But does anybody else have this happen? Like, you, like I understand, like, if all of a sudden I, I had, like, a $3,000 charge in Costa Rica, right? Gorgeous place. But, like, and I live in Atlanta. Like, I get that. But if I'm at a gas station in Atlanta, is it weird to get gas in Atlanta? Like, what, I haven't been to this one? I was at Chevron, but I wasn't at Mobile? Like, I was at BP, but I wasn't at Chevron? Like, what the hell tipped you off exactly? Like, it's ridiculous. And then you get, then you got to stand there, and you got to look like an ass because your card declined. And now you're, like, all nervous because there's nothing more embarrassing than that, especially if you have the money. Like, if you don't have the money, then you're already taking precautions and knowing, hey, I'm not going to go in here and look like an idiot. I'm not going to go out for dinner on a date, and I don't have any money. I will tell you, though, and, and share one more story before I get past the story time and move on to another topic that I want to hit. I will say and admit, because I think admitting embarrassment is important, that I did once, and, and I don't remember her name, and this is, sounds terrible. It's not as terrible as that sounds like. It's, let me back up. That sounds like the beginning of a story that's way worse than what I'm going to say, because this isn't about not, I, I don't remember the person's name probably for my own sanity, but I did once have a first date when I was in my, I, I would say late teens to early, I might have been 20, maybe I was 19. It was somewhere that age, right? And so I can't even tell you where I met this person, whether it was a camp or as through a friend or, you know, a, the romance room in AOL. I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Honestly, I don't remember. The only thing I remember about this person and why it is hard to remember their name, and I don't even remember what they look like, is because the date lasted about an hour and a half and the entirety of it was spent in a car. So I picked this person up and was driving out to dinner on this date. And I remember exactly where I was because I was somewhere on the Wanta Parkway, which if you grew up where I did in Massapequa, it's about 10 minutes away. So I made it 10 minutes from my house. That's all I remember. Why do I remember that? Because I had to call a friend's parents because the car ran out of gas. Like, literally, we were driving on the parkway to go to the date. It's already weird. Like, there's nothing weirder than going to a first date. Like, being on your way to a first date, like, especially, like, 
you know, nowadays, like, and if you live in a city, the best thing is to, like, meet somebody for coffee, not even, or, like, you know, a drink. Don't do dinner, because then it, it's easy. Hey, if it's not working, you could skip out, right? And I don't think this was a blind date from what I remember, but whatever kind of a date it was, it didn't last very long, because on the way there, 10 minutes from my house, I we ran out of gas. So I had never had that happen to me. And never since. I had my car die because I left the lights on one other time in a parking lot. But I never had a situation other than that where I, I literally ran out of gas. Okay? I mean, I even had a, a, a scenario where I was driving across country before I moved to L.A. And I got stuck in Utah on a Sunday where there was, like, no gas, like, open anywhere. And my buddy and I were, like, praying to my dashboard for legitimately, like, two and a half hours. And somehow it was like, and I'm Jewish, it was, like, literally the, the candle that burned for eight days. Like, I have no idea where the gas, they, this car was pulling gas from within itself. I have no idea how we made it to a gas station, literally. Like, I thought we were going to be stuck on the side of a mountain forever. And I remember, like, sort of joking, but not joking with my buddy that, like, you get caught. Like, if, you, if you've ever, it's beautiful if you've never driven through Utah in those areas. It's gorgeous. But I was joking with my buddy at the time, my friend Mark. Like, if, if we get pulled over, like, I don't even know. Like, there's no, like, you're looking for, like, a mile marker. And I'm, like, the worst, anybody who knows me, at giving directions and, and taking directions. It's, it's not my forte, okay? It's, it's not, it, it ain't my thing. Right. I'll drive around in a circle like eight times till I find a place. I am the human roundabout. But I remember we were going to run out of gas and I was like panicking. I was terrified because how the hell am I going to explain to AAA, which I did have at the time, where I even am? Like we didn't have GPSs in the car way back when. Like I had I, I still have no idea to this day how I made it. But in this night, on this case, on this date, I did not. And we began to run out of gas when I was in the right lane of the parkway. Thank God I made it off to, like, the grass, like, embankment, which was, like, inclined, like, if you're watching, I'm showing you, like, up this way. So I'm, like, literally, like, now, like, catty-cornered, like, into the grass with this person I don't even know in this godforsaken, awful scenario. And thankfully, we had cell phones at least then, and it was right after the beeper age, and we had just made the cell phone, so I had one of those big, like, Motorola deals, and I, I, I don't remember, I really truthfully don't, why I couldn't call my own mother. Maybe it was embarrassment that I didn't, but I had a buddy of mine who lived in the town that lived, like, three minutes away, and I tried to call him. He was not there, but his mother answered. <clears throat> because I knew her well, I told her what had happened, and she brought a funnel of gas from the gas station to the car. This entire process of me going over for gas, I'm, like, sweating. I remember it was in the summer. I'm dying of heat. You're, like, outside the car. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, the tire is not flat. The gas is, like, where am I going to find gas from? Do I walk to a gas station? This girl, I don't even know her. Like, you can't do, like, so how's the weather and what? where do you want to be in five years? Like, what kind of shit? What are you going to say? Um, but I, I, I do remember that at the time that the gas was brought, and it was so weird. Like, you know, here came, like, my buddy's mother. And, like she, and then she's like, you know, it's a Jewish mother, too, which, if, if you know anything, it's, like, you know, neurotic and also, like, and I say this with love, strange. So, like, you know, reaches, like, my own mother would, like, reaches in the window, hey, how are you, whatever your name is, and I'm this person. So she finally left. We got the gas. I said, thank you. Oh, my God, I owe you one. And I hadn't even thought about during the entirety of this time, like, is this date going to continue? Like, we had a dinner reservation. This time there was no open table. Like, I had not called the restaurant. 
And when I got back in the car, the girl said to drive her home. So that's why I don't remember her name. It's not for a bad reason. But I bring that up because it's a, I think sharing embarrassing stories and being vulnerable is part of creating a relationship because I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to share stories with me. I want, as the podcasts go along, for you to feel I'm, – I'm just a person just like you are. So I've, I've done dumb shit too. You know, I'm also not fallible in terms of, you know, not understanding real life things. You know, I've talked about it, and I've talked about this for years, and you really had the pleasure of doing some some great pieces when I was at SiriusXM on anxiety. I got diagnosed with anxiety in my early 20s. And, you know, to me, everybody everybody probably in 20, I, I say this now, in 2022, everybody's got some level of anxiety after COVID, I'm sure. But, you know, I used to basically live life as the white rabbit. I used to tell people. I mean, that's basically like how, like, there's no time. I'm out of time. I'm out of time. Like, my anxiety was always about overly putting too much pressure on myself. Uh, one story I've told on the air before, when I was, I'm sure many times, but I, don't, I haven't told on the podcast, is I, I, was, I was working on water, off, right off of Wall Street, but working in that, that industry in my early 20s, and this is one of the times that I knew that something was wrong. I had missed the train. The Long Island Railroad is an abomination, all right? The great part about trains are, like, you know when they leave and you know when they're going to get there if it's not the Long Island Railroad. That takes that part away, too, and there's no air conditioning half the time, and they are the kings and queens of, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, but nothing good comes after that. Like, really, your sorries don't help me. Just tell me what shit I'm about to do. I got to sit in the tarmac for three hours? Just tell me. The fact you're sorry about the inconvenience doesn't make it any better. All right? But in this given occasion, I had a meeting to get to, and it was early in the morning, and I, I couldn't find parking. So I had just parked, and I was running up the stairs and running to the train, and I, and I, I either tripped over myself or just fell like an asshole. I don't know. But I fell. And I landed on my hand, and it hurt like hell. I, was, I remember screaming out loud. Like, it hurt bad enough that I couldn't control my, like, again, I've F-bombed on the air, so what, what does it matter with me? But I screamed, you know, you know shit, right? But it was the F version. And got onto the train. I made it. I made it on the train. Like, I was like, oh, success. And I remember pumping my fist and then wanting to cry. Like the kind where the, the train is so packed and you're like holding back the tears because you don't want somebody to think like, you know, like this, like you're wimpy, right? Or a wuss, like I'm a man, I can't cry, which is some stupid bullshit anyway. So I remember it throbbing my hand and my finger was like, like my, my ring finger, my right hand, it was like blowing up like a balloon. I was like, what did I do? Now, playing basketball over the years, I jammed my finger many times. And I was like, okay, maybe I just jammed it. But it, it felt different. I was like, this is, this is not right. But the swelling was so fast and so bad, I couldn't even tell what was going on with the bone. Like, I couldn't see, right? But I couldn't bend my finger. So I went into work, and I got into the meeting. And as we're sitting there in the meeting, I'm, like, sweating, kind of grimacing. And my boss, and this is a true story, my boss said, what the hell did you do? And I thought there was something wrong with me in terms of like at work. And they had noticed that my finger was literally like black and blue and blowing up like a balloon and maybe get the hell out of the office and go to the hospital. And I had a broken finger. 
All of that because I was so nervous about getting on the train. And one thing I tell people about, and look, you know, dealing with anxiety is like a daily thing. First of all, people have in my life shit on me at times about it. And it's the most ridiculous thing in the world because you know, everybody's got different levels of it. But for me, yeah, I've learned over the years how to handle it way better. And actually, even in, in moments that I, I don't think anyone else would have handled very well, I've been able to manage enough because I think of some of the different things that I've learned over the years. But one thing that I've learned is compartmentalizing. And somebody taught me that, I would say, probably about 20 years ago. It's probably the greatest lesson in life that I've ever on the day-to-day -day basis and stress that I've ever gotten. And the way that I was kind of taught how to think about this, and I'll share because in case it helps somebody, is, and I, I think it really is helpful. And it, look, let me just pr say, when things are going really shitty in your life, and I've had that happen to me, uh, you know, especially about a year ago and about two and a half years ago, there are times that like things go so wrong and are so bad that anybody's going to get overwhelmed by stress to the point where you're going to be emotional, you're going to be upset. There's no perfect world, right? And we're all human beings. But if we're talking about day-to-day -day and dealing with anxiety, which everybody deals with, and a lot of you probably deal with and don't, you know, you may not be, you know, clinically diagnosed as ang anxious. You may just be a little bit, you may have high blood pressure. You maybe should be stressed out. Regardless, I think compartmentalizing is so huge. And the way that this was kind of talked to me and it i think it's it's something that i i had to remind myself about a year ago how to do right because i got into a situation where i needed it again for the first time in a long time the most important thing is taking one step in front of you like i have one decision to make now and then i got to make that one and, and it sounds stupid it's kind of like bob wiley like you know, bill murray and baby steps uh you know the whole thing in in what about bob one of my favorite movies which is a great flick where you, you kind of take one step at a time. But a lot of us, we don't stop and think, what's the worst that could happen? Now, often when you think that, it kind of, people, the premise of that is like, oh, shit, like I'm going to now feel worse about it. I don't want to think negative, right? But follow me, at least for me, this is what works. Like, what if I missed that train? What was going to happen to me? Like, I wasn't going to get fired, I was going to miss the meeting. I was going to be late and have to call in and tell them I was late and missed the train. Like, so what? It wasn't worth what was going to happen to me. So, like, if you're having rage, like, I remember, and this hasn't happened to me in probably, like, 20 years, but I remember at the time, like, going back a couple of decades, like, you know, sitting there and it wouldn't be like auditions. Like, it depends where you get nerved. That's the interesting thing about life that I've learned is, like, for me, I'm much more comfortable here with a microphone. I always joke about this. I've joked about it in the podcast before. Like when I had to throw the first pitch, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. They handed me a microphone on the mound. I could have talked to 50,000 people in no problem, you know, because I'm, I'm comfortable in my own skin and I'm comfortable expressing myself. It's, it's where I feel at home, right? Like actors and people who are, are you know, in drama or in theater, they're most comfortable on a stage. Actually, when they get off it is where I'm much less comfortable in traffic, right? So I used to get so mad when I would be sitting there. Like when I lived in L.A. in my early 20s and the traffic is just, it's, it's horrible. It's actually not as bad as Atlanta because it, it should be, the L.A. traffic should be way worse. And the Atlanta traffic is, is not. And the drivers are worse here. 
But when I was in that traffic and I'd be sitting on the 405 and I'd be like, how is this even happening when you're trying to get to work or you're done with work? I think it's worse when you're done with work and it's like you just want to get home for the day. And it takes you like an hour and a half. And it's like now like the beginning of my night is shit on. Like I used to get so angry and they get angry like when you'd find out it was like one cone of construction and everybody driving like an idiot. Right. What's the worst that's going to happen? Like there's the world's not ending. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are people who have bigger problems. And, and I always correlate that. I wrote this down to sports. Like, you know, for me, you know, I never felt a lot of pressure, like, being on TV or you know, even now. Like, this will get, you know, sent up and it's like, even sharing things about myself, I don't. I, I really don't feel that because I'm comfortable with who I am. If somebody doesn't like me, if you don't like me, that's okay. Like, you know, people are mad. Like, I like to sing. So I sing and I put stuff up. Oh, my God, he sings? Well, that's terrible. How could he be singing? Like, honestly, screw you. Like, I like to sing. If I want to dance, I'll dance. If I want to, you know, do haikus, I'm going to do haikus for you. Who gives a shit? Like, that's how I am. Like, really? It's like what I said, you know, a few podcasts earlier. Like, I could recite lines to Dawson's Creek. Really? Like, do you care? At me. I don't care. So... You know, for me, like I, I, I'm always comfortable in this kind of setting. But even in the sports end, I think what happens is, you know, as fans, and I don't mean this talking down, we're all fans. We all forget really what sports are about because this is what makes sports great. When you get into these anxious moments or things happen in your life, it's sports that gets to kind of take you out of that. It's loving a team, dying with a team, hating that the team didn't make a trade. I mean, certainly I've got enough stress being a fan of the Islanders and the Knicks, right, and the, and the Mets. Not, not anymore. I, I didn't even put them in the list anymore, which tells you there's something wrong, right? I mean, what happened with this? Now all of a sudden they're credible. But, you know, being a fan of sports – that's what that escape is. It gives you something else to, to hate on or to love, but you, you get to, to be a part of something, right? When you're at a concert, you know, you're, you're high-fiving you know, or hugging the people to the left or the right of you, you don't even know, like you're at church because there's something that's like, is like a religious thing that's happening, right? Because of, of the moment or the feeling that you feel in the energy. And sometimes you can get that in a building watching a sport or rooting for a sport or seeing a championship or a playoff game, things like that. But we sometimes forget what sports are. They're just, they're just games. They're just games. Even the people playing, they have real lives. They have real things that go on. This is their job, but it's a job and it's a game. For us, even the people who work in it, it's a job and it's a game. For all of us as fans who go there, it's a game. And we need to enjoy the ride and the craziness and the ups and downs. But we re need to also remember that it's just a game. And that's how I think you stay grounded in all of it as a fan. And that's how I've always stayed grounded. I mean, look, you know, this was hard for me, and, I, and I'm, I'm very honest about this. Like, it was, it's hard for me not being at things like the All-Star Game right now. It's hard for me because I always was a pinch myself, very grounded person in my career, even as, you know, going through years of people telling me, I had people tell me it was never going to happen. I had an agent send me a note and tell me that I, I should try a different career. Uh, when I was trying to get into this before I had an agent um, and save that letter, I was sending tapes to random people like I was just doing anything I could to kind of you know get noticed or have somebody believe in me. And 
I mean, geez, I, the first thing I ever did was was highlights making thirty four dollars a day for like America Online was like the you know, doing highlights for them it was the first job that I got after doing the reality show after doing Dream Job, and you know to to work and earn yourself up to a certain point and and to keep striving and and always kind of be that way and anybody who's worked with me knows that I've I've been that way and you know always had such an energy and had fun doing what I've done. It's been hard. You know, regardless of family reasons or not, it, it's been difficult, and it's difficult to see these events. I, I, I have written down somewhere where I was during the NBA Finals the year after I stopped covering, where I was in the tournament, uh, where I – there are certain, like, juxtapositions, if you will, of, like, what I was doing and, and, and you know, as a parent and what was happening, you know, in, in the place that I would have been covering if I was still doing it. Those things are tough, but – one of the ways that I've stayed grounded and I keep pushing for my dreams is because it's, it's sports, it's a job. And that's what I think being a parent does to you. Like you realize just bare bones how grateful you are for all the things that you have. And I think all of us need to be grateful no matter what's going on in our lives for, for being sports fans. Because all the, the insanity that it brings us and all the craziness, it's a great part of life. I mean, really, it is. I've had issues in my life many, many times, which I've talked about with self-esteem, and I, I've dealt with all kinds of stuff, right? And, you know, we all have trials and tribulations come our way. When it, You know, it's certainly COVID, everybody dealt with them, right? People are dealing with all kinds of economic things. But sports are a gift. It's a gift to have this outlet. That's what therapy, that's what family is for. We all have that and in a sports family. So that's the kind of thing I want to create here. That's the kind of thing I hope to do here. That's why, please, you know, at me at Casey Stern. I want to hear your ideas. I want to know your things that you want to talk about. I want to know the, the, the topics that you'd like to hear broken down, guests that you'd like me to talk to. Like, I, I, want to, I want to create a relationship through the podcast, and it's my first time trying to do that. But, you know, I'm going to try my darndest, and we're on a ride together because, you know, I, 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 I raised my hand at five years old saying I was doing this for a living. I, I told my agent the first day that he could tell you, I've been with him 20 years. The first day I met him, he, he said, who do you want to be? And I, I said at the time, and, it, you know, and I still, you know, respect him, but I said Bob Costas. Like, I, I wanted I want to be the top guy in the industry. Like, I want, I want to to be able to make impact. I want to cover new sports. I want to try new things. And I'm looking forward to what the years to come, you know, have in store for me with all of that and uh, for all of you to be here on this ride. And Unfiltered is going to be there along the way the whole way. But I want it to be open season and unfiltered. I talk about me. You talk about you. You know, we all got issues. We all got shit to deal with. We all got our own stuff. But if there's any way I can help anybody out there, I want to help. If there's any way you could help me, I'll ask you the same way. But I want to create that relationship here at Unfiltered. And therefore, I thank you for being a part of Episode 19, LifePod. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.